Well, are you glad to be in church this morning? Are these yours, Kelly? You, you might need those because you have been young, but you're older now. And so he might need those if he's going to read the word, right? I'll ask you again, are you glad to be in church? I'm so glad that you're here. I have been looking forward uh, to being back with you. It feels like it's been a while, and uh, I think I have a few friends here. Uh, <laughs> leave the booger. He'll, uh, he'll make me feel good. Uh, but uh, I, I'm excited because I, I've always had a good time when I've been with you. And so don't let me down this time. Happy Mother's Day. I was sitting thinking, I called my mom this morning. I've, I've got a good mom. I love my mom. Moms become mammals. Sometimes my mom hasn't and she won't. But she had dogs that were her grandkids. But anyhow, uh, I, I, I love moms. And so happy Mother's Day. And uh, I, I'm thrilled uh, to to be able to say that to you. I want to share something with you this morning that I hadn't planned on. Robbie had asked me if I had any passage of scripture to put on the screen, and I, I didn't because I was wrestling between a few things. Um, I often find that uh, there are things that I want to do, and there are things that God wants me to do. And I've learned in 46 years of life, I'm half of 92, so I'm officially an old man. I have learned that this works better if I go his way. And so this morning, I, I want to share something with you that um, I believe he'd have me to share. And in order to get there, I need to talk to you a little bit more than I normally would. Uh, but stick with me. I promise you that we're going somewhere. Uh, about two years ago, April, I was in Mayberry. Now, you all around here know there's an actual Mayberry, uh, Mount Airy, North Carolina, I was up there at the Wesleyan Church for revival. I had been there before, actually knew the pastor um, from before he became pastor there. And so since I was coming in, he invited me to have supper with him and his wife. So I got in early on Saturday. I set my things up and then we had supper. And you know that when you have a meal with someone, it's um, polite not to just shove food in your face. You have to talk. <laughs> You have conversation. You just don't sit there and, well, anyhow. We, we were sitting there and we were talking about things, and I don't know how it happened, but somehow in April, Christmas came up. And I, it was kind of uncomfortable for me because I had to confess to them, and now that I brought it up this morning, I should have left this part out, that I have to confess to you as well that I'm not much of a Christmas person. Now, don't misunderstand me on that. It's not that I don't appreciate what Christmas means. Of course I do. You just need to realize I celebrate Christmas and Easter every time we gather together just like this. I've always heard my, my entire life that um, Christmas is for kids. I think there's some truth to that because there is an excitement when you're a child about Santa Claus coming and all that sort of thing. But as you get older, things begin to change just a little bit. And um, I don't have kids, and since I don't have kids, and since I'm not much of a Christmas person, I'll confess, I don't even put up a Christmas tree. If you want to judge me for that, you go right ahead. I, I, I don't care, because I'm only home 
uh, two weeks out of the year, and it's usually those last two weeks in December, and since I'm only home those two weeks, I don't want to spend those two weeks putting something up and taking something down. Because you have noticed, if you put something up, you have to take it down. We all don't care about anything this morning, do you? But, but, but I, I'm just not going to do it. And up until about a year and a half or so ago, I had two little boy dogs, and they have different ideas what trees are used for. And so it just worked better not to put one up. Now, my neighbors, I have some good friends. I know that's surprising to some of you. Uh, but my neighbors, um, their names are Jeremy and Linnell Medici, are some of my closest friends. And about eight years or so ago, uh, they adopted a little girl from China. It was eight years, April, because um, she had to be a year old to come here, and we just celebrated her, her, her ninth birthday. Her name is Alyssa, and, and let me just tell you, since I haven't impressed you yet, I'm not going to. Uh, just like I'm not a Christmas person, I hope I can be this real with you. I'm not much of a kid person either. Now, it's not that I don't like kids. I don't want you to misunderstand that. I love kids. I really do. I just don't know how to act around them. I was always the youngest in my family. Where are my babies out there? Yeah, see, that's why the rest of the world is against us. Because mom and dad loved us most and mamma and papa. But, he, you know, I was always the baby in my family, even amongst the cousins. Um, and so I, I never was around kids. If you give me a dog, I'll play with it. You give me a kid, I break out in a cold sweat. Uh, my girl cousins had their babies when I was away at school uh, from 90 to 97. Now, I wasn't in school that long. Maybe I needed to be. Uh, but uh, I worked in the area where I was at for a while. And then when I came home in 97, these kids are already five and six years old. So when you're five and six years old, get out and make a living. This little girl, Alyssa, I'm going to tell you, I, I write about her in uh, my first book. She has me wrapped around her finger. I, I never realized that I could love a girl, uh, uh, well, a kid, the way I love her. Um, I'm home usually on Thursday evenings and Fridays before I head out on Saturday. And since I'm only home during that time, on Thursday evenings, I eat supper with my neighbors. Now, you've got to understand something. They don't invite me. I just show up. <laughs> I'm a single man. It's what we do. And so, you, you know, they've just gotten used to it over the years. They set a place for me there. And so we'll have a meal. And then after we eat, we'll go into the living room. There's a couple of recliners by the fireplace. I, I try to beat Jeremy to the big one because I get in there. And then Alyssa, it's large enough, she'll climb up into that seat with me. And we'll talk about how the week has gone. For the longest time, she didn't understand why I was only home during those few days. I'm not sure she understands it now, but at least she, uh, she knows the routine. And so we'll talk about how school has been We'll talk about life, all that kind of thing, and then we'll sing together because she likes to sing and I like to sing. And we usually sing Luke Bryan. Sit there and act totally as if you don't know who Luke Bryan is. Maybe some of you don't, but we'll sing those songs and it'll just be a wonderful time. Now, two Octobers ago, um, what we would sing during that time changed. Because Alyssa was beginning, she was at that age when she was beginning to prepare for her first school program, uh, Christmas program, Christmas pageant, whatever you want to call it. 
So instead of singing, call me, call me, call me, we began to sing about Rudolph and his shiny red nose. Do you remember that one? We talk about Frosty and his hat. And I'll just confess to you, I always get those words wrong. But Alyssa is more obsessive compulsive than I am, so she always corrects. It's wonderful to be corrected by a seven or an eight-year-old kid, isn't it? But she was right and I was wrong. And then we talk about going over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house. And the strangest thing began to happen to me. For the first time, and I couldn't tell you how long, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes. I began to get in the Christmas spirit like you would not believe. And it's good that I did. Have you all noticed that God has a sense of humor? Um, For 22 years, at that point, for 20 years, every December since I've been traveling, I've been invited to go around and do Christmas concerts, but I've never done that because I don't like giving concerts for one thing, and for another thing, I don't like Christmas music, and I'm too lazy to learn new songs, and so I would always say no. But that year, I had agreed to travel around with a friend of mine named John Rousey and and do Christmas programs. It's something that we referred to as uh, Rediscovering Christmas. And uh, the songs that we would sing... John had written. John's an incredible songwriter. You may not recognize his name, but I'm sure you would know some of his songs. He's a Dove Award-winning songwriter. How how many of you watch the Gaither videos? Singing with the Saints, he wrote that song. Four Days Late, he sang with Karen Peck and New River when they were all that. I mean, he's an incredible songwriter and incredible talent. And so we went around singing uh, Christmas songs, basically, that he had written. And one of the songs that I did really got a hold of me. I'm a simple guy. It was a simple song. It basically said this. Now, I won't say it the way he says it, but it says that uh, when there was nothing that you and I could do, God does the greatest thing imaginable by robing his son in human flesh. He sends him. He gives him as a gift. And in that gift, it was truly the gift that changed the world. That song began to get a hold of me because I began to understand in a way that I hadn't thought of up to that point that this was a gift that was wrapped up, all wrapped up in a name. Now, of course, I realized this morning that it's the one who is named that makes a difference. But I also realized that names are important, especially when you get in the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, names have great significance Even in our day, names mean something. Well, it might not mean as much as they used to, but at least there's a story behind our names. A number of us could tell us how we came about our names. I could tell you how I got mine. Uh, My name is Billy Andrew Huddleston. I go to places and they want to make me a Bill. I go to places and they want to make me a William. I have even, over the years, gotten checks made out to William and Bill, and even though that's not my name, I still find a way to cash them. (laughs) My family is from southeast Kentucky, northeast Tennessee. I am a bona fide Billy. It's right there on my birth certificate, Billy Andrew Huddleston. Uh, The way my name came about, this is the story I've always heard, my mom and dad, my brother, it's never been corrected, so I've got to assume it's the truth. My mom and dad want to name me after a double cousin. Now, do you all know what double cousins are here? 
or are we too far out of the holler? <laughs> you know, you know a, a double, let me tell you how you come about a double cousin. I don't want you to think that's why I'm not all right up here. I mean, um, the way you get a double cousin is my mom's dad, my papa's brother, married my dad's mom's sister, my mamaw's sister. So I'm related on both sides. You don't care. It's nothing odd. I just want you to know that. Uh, they wanted to name me after a double cousin named Billy Harold, who lost his uh, life at 18 in a tragic automobile accident. And they also wanted to name me after my great-grandfather, my papaw Drew. They wanted to name me Drew. They wanted to name me Billy. They wanted to name me Billy. They wanted to name me Drew. They couldn't decide which order to put it in, and so they just finally settled with Billy and Drew. You can't make that up. I wish that I could tell you that I was that clever. You, you can't make that up. And do you know what my family calls me? No joke. Billy Drew. Now, why they didn't just call me Billy Drew in the first place, I don't know. But on my birth certificate, it's Billy and Drew. Names are important. And there are two names that I want you to think about. I want us to think about together this morning as we begin our revival time. They're both found in the Old Testament, and yet they stand in stark contrast to one another. Now, the first name, I'm going to take the liberty of telling you the story of. It's found in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel to be exact. The name is actually found in chapter 4, but in order to appreciate what's going on in chapter 4, you have to get the context of chapter 2 and 3. And you'll remember that when you come to 1 Samuel chapter 2, it begins out with the story of Hannah, all that sort of stuff going on. But in the midst of that, we run into a guy named Eli. And probably, if you've been in church any period of time, gone to Sunday school, caravan, anything like that, you, you'll remember Eli. I would say to you today that Eli is a good man. I would actually go so far as saying that Eli was a godly man. You, you could say that because we watch over his life, he served faithfully his God. He was actually the high priest at the temple here in Shiloh. But at this point in time, Eli has become elderly. He's up in years, and in his old age, his sight is becoming dim, his hearing is becoming dull. And over his life, we notice that he has had some children, and at least two of these children are boys. We see that their names are Hophni, and I'm just wondering this morning, are there any Hophnis here today? I really want, I'm not being silly, I really want to meet a Hophni somewhere. I mean, you meet all these people who have biblical names. I want to meet a Hophni, but if you're not going to meet them down in Kentucky, you're not going to meet them anywhere, but, but anyhow... Um, some of you just need to loosen up a little bit. But uh, Hophni and Phineas, And what we learn about Hophni and Phineas is that they're not the same kind of men as their father is. Um, in fact, there in chapter 2, it will say that Hophni and Phineas do not know God. They don't have a relationship with him. So you can see the contrast right at the start. Where you could say Eli was a godly man, they were ungodly. In fact, some of your, your, um, your translations will refer to them as scoundrels. You don't hear that very often in the Word of God. And yet, we watch, even in chapter 2, you want to see how serious this is? Right before our eyes, we begin to see their sins listed. 
Uh, at least some of them, we know that they're the sons of Eli. So they are of that priestly line, that lineage. And there were certain ways that the priest was to deal with sacrifices, to deal with the offerings. And, and we watched that Hophni and Phinehas, they were profaning the sacrifices, the offerings. They began to take things into their own hands. We also see that they were beginning to act as the heathen do. The, way, the reason I say that is because we know it says there that they are sleeping with women right outside the temple. Now, I'm not being vulgar. That's in the Word of God. It's not HBO. It, it, it's right there. They're acting as the heathen right out in front of everybody. That's what they're doing. And you know this morning that God is not mocked. You realize that He will not tolerate the breaking of his law. For he begins to say this will not be tolerated. Eli's line will not continue to serve in the temple. That's basically chapter 2. Now let me just say to you real quick. I'm not going to do a good job with chapter 2 and 3. So you need to go home this afternoon and read it. Or sometime this week during your own Bible study. Just to get the feeling of the story. Now when you come to chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. And I don't know, preacher, if you'd agree with me with this or not, but I think this is probably one of the most popular passages in 1 Samuel because at the beginning of the chapter is the calling of the boy Samuel. You remember the story, um, it's nighttime. Uh, Samuel is in his bed, he's resting. He thinks Eli is calling for him, so he goes to find out what's going on. Uh, he says, what do you want from me? Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And, and so Eli goes, this goes, Samuel goes, it goes on a couple of times. And finally, Eli realizes what's happening and he instructs um, Samuel what to do, what to say. And it's through this point in time that God begins to reveal to Samuel how that he is going to carry out uh, what he has spoken against Eli's household. And then think about this. Samuel has the unfortunate responsibility of reporting back to Eli what God has told him. But he does that. And so that's basically chapter 3. I told you I wouldn't do a good job. Some of you already look bored, so you'll be glad that I don't. Because when you come into chapter 4, you'll see that now what God has spoken is going to begin to play out. Because at the beginning of chapter 4, you see that the Philistines are encamped against the Israelites. And, and I think about this. There are all kinds of people groups in the Word of God that has caused God's people problems. Have you noticed that? There are groups like the Canaanites. There are groups like the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Parasites. <laughs> Some of you don't even know that I just, never mind. You, you, you know, they got all these people groups, but it seems as though the one group that's always a thorn to God's people are the Philistines. I mean, when you think about some of the majors, David and Goliath, Philistines. Samson and Delilah, Philistines. I mean, it seems like there are always, and what's interesting, you won't care about this, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. Scholars will tell you that they believe that the Philistines were believing for a promised land at the same time Israel was. And so they were always coming. I told you you wouldn't care, but that's interesting to me. Uh, but, but we see that they are encamped. They are going out to battle. And there are other times in Israel's history, do not forget this, when God directs the battle, God brings the victory. 
But because we have the privilege on being on this side of the story, we know on this occasion that God's purposes are different. So we watch as the Israelites meet the Philistines on the battlefield that day. And in one battle, we read that 4,000 Hebrew foot soldiers, 4,000 men lose their life. Now, I want you to think about that because that is not a small number. This is a terrific day in Israel's history. They've been handed a great defeat. And you can only begin to imagine how it threw the Israelites into confusion. Because I've already said to you that there were other times when God directs the battle, God brings the victory. But it seems as though they were led to slaughter so they don't understand. (laughs) They're confused. And so we watch them as they begin to go around in their mind. The elders, they put their heads together in their bewilderment and they come to the conclusion that the thing that will be best for them, what they're going to do to remedy this, this situation, to defeat their enemy, is they are going to go to, 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 to Shiloh there and they are going to fetch the ark of God. Because surely if they fetch the ark of God, the ark of the covenant or the ark of the testimony, it's all the same thing. The symbol of God's blessing and presence amongst his people. If they fetch that, victory will come. And you do see what they're doing, don't you? They're going to use the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, as a good luck charm. That's what they're they're going to go and grab their rabbit's foot. They're going to go and get their horseshoe. Are horseshoes lucky? I think they are. I've never had a horse. I don't know. They're going to go grab that and then bring it. And because of that, they believe that it'll bring. I really want to be hard on them. Does anybody else want to just kind of grab them and shake them just a little bit? You're not like me. Maybe that is why I do life alone. I don't know. I want to straighten them out. Uh, I want to say that's not, you don't use God. But see, I can't do that. Because I found that's what I'm guilty of. And in case you're sitting there acting so holy, that's what you're guilty of. I want you to know that. See, when things go well in our lives, When the job is secure, when there's money in the bank, when the family is living in harmony and health is good, those are the times when our prayer life begins to slack just a little bit. Those are the times that we don't open up the Word of God. Those are the days that we think, well, I'll spend another day down at the beach because we're not going to have. But let things start being thrown into turmoil. Let the health begin to fall apart. Let the bank account begin to go low. And let me just say this to you. Aren't you thankful today that we have a God that is faithful to us even when we're unfaithful to him? I am thankful, but I also want to remind you that God doesn't just want part-time in your life. I would remind you, as J.B. Phillips would say, that he is not some cosmic Santa Claus that just wants to give out good gifts once a year. He's not some doting grandfather that just longs for someone to visit from time to time. He wants to be intimately involved in your life when things are going well, when hell is breaking loose. He wants to be intimately involved in your life. He is not a good luck charm. He is a person that wants to be involved intimately with you. Well, that's good preaching whether you want to accept it or not. But anyhow, they go to fetch the ark of God. And when they get there, 
Guess who's attending the ark? Hophni and Phinehas. So we watch as they make their way down to the camp of the Hebrews. And as they approach the camp, I want you to see the excitement, the hysteria that just this symbol brings. Because when the army sees, sees the ark coming to camp, the word of God tells us that they let out this mighty roar. A roar that's so mighty, a shout that's so great that it causes the earth to tremble. A shout that's so great that the Philistines, they hear what's going on. They hear the shout and they understand what that cry means. They know that Israel's God has come to battle. And they've been on the receiving end of what happens when Israel's God comes to battle. And so we watch them as they begin to knock in their boots. They begin to tremble just a little bit until one of the Philistine commanders stands up. I, I love the way the word of God reads. If you're looking for a good book, you don't have to look any further. But he stands up and he says, be men. Go out and face these guys. And so we watch them go out. They meet the Hebrews, the Israelites on the battlefield. And we read 30,000 foot soldiers. I guess that was an empty shout, wasn't it? I love it when people are shouting. But you can tell when the Spirit's in it. 30,000 men are slain. I, I told you before that 4,000 was terrific. This is tremendous, folks. I, I, I don't know how many people live in Rock Hill. But 30,000 would be a good chunk of them. 30,000 men lost their Not only did 30,000 men lose their lives, but we read that Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, they're growing cold on the battlefield as well. They've been slain. Not only did Hophni and Phinehas lose their life and 30,000 men, but we read that the ark of God the symbol of God's blessing and presence amongst his people. The Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. I want you to understand, this is a black day, a dark day in Israel's history. And so now we watch that Eli, I've already explained to you that he's up in years he, he, he's, his sight is bad, his hearing is dull, he's grown heavy in his old age. He's not down on the battlefield. But we see as he's sitting along the wayside waiting for a report of what's going on, it actually says that his heart is trembling for fear of the ark of God. He's sitting there when finally the messenger reaches him. And we watch as the messenger begins to report all this. It's all thrown in the mix. He begins to tell of the great loss of life. 30,000 men, and I'm just going to to say this and maybe it's a bad comparison but I'm going to say it anyhow you'll remember that Eli was the high priest he was the one that would stand as a mediator between a holy God and an unholy people he was their pastor and when he hears about 30,000 of his people any pastor the heart would break to know that so many lost their life on that day he also gets the news thrown in there that his boys Hophni and Phineas were dead and I said a moment ago that they weren't good boys how many of you have kids 
I don't. I, I mean, you know, mom and dad, it doesn't matter if your kids are good or bad. They are still your kids. And so when he hears about how his boys had lost their life on the battlefield, you know that his heart was ripped out of his chest. He hears on top of it all that the ark of God, the symbol of God's blessing and presence amongst his people, had been captured by the enemy, by the Philistines. And all of that thrown together is more than he can bear. We watch it as the news throws him under the... He's, he's, he falls off of his stool. He falls off of his bench. He falls off of his seat. And under the weight of his own body, his neck snaps and he dies as well. Now, aren't you glad that you came to church on Mom's Day to hear about all this death? I mean, you got out of bed this morning. Some of you even brushed your teeth. <laughs> and you came to church, and here we are talking about all this death and destruction. It'll just build you up. I wish that I could tell you that that was the end of it. But I can't. Because when you come to the last four verses of 1 Samuel chapter 4, I believe it begins with verse 19. I, I don't have my Bible turned there, but if you're in there, just make sure that I'm close to right. It's the last four verses. I believe it begins with verse 19. We meet a woman. And what we find is, is that this woman is married to Phineas. Not only is she married to Phineas, but she's with child. She's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. She's late in term. She's about to pop. However you want to say it, you can say it that way. See, I, I don't know the proper way to, to speak of a pregnant woman. I don't really even know how to be around a pregnant woman. I've never... In all honesty, I've never been around a pregnant woman. Now I see you come to church and I think you're pregnant, but I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't always turn out to. I found that out. Well, never mind. But anyhow, I, I, I told you that when my cousins had their kids, I was away at school, so I wasn't around them. I've never been around anybody. I mean, when my mom was pregnant, obviously I was there, but I wasn't. What are you going to do? I've never had one of my own. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say it like that, but anyhow, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I just don't know how to speak of, nor do I know how to act around a pregnant woman. But I have heard that it's a delicate situation. I have heard, especially when you get to a certain period of time, far enough time, you don't want to excite them. Frankly, fellas, I don't think you should excite women at any time. It doesn't always turn out well. Here I am on Mother's Day trying to give advice. but And you men are not helpful. Some of you could have, Kelly's the bravest one, and that's probably because he's not all up here. But anyhow. <laughs> I told you my name's Billy. But anyhow. Anyhow. Things happen. When a pregnant woman gets excited. I, I mean, especially if you, it could be pretty dang. And we read that here she is in this delicate situation. 
And the news of all these events begin to reach her ears. For instance, she hears about the tragic loss of life. And, and I don't know how she would feel about it, but probably a woman who is about to have a baby doesn't need about to hear that 30,000 men of, of her nation were slain. She hears, thrown in that mix, how her husband, Phineas, had been slain as well. And I'll guarantee you this. You know that a woman who's about to have a man's baby doesn't need to hear that her husband is no more. Uh, that's new. She didn't need. She hears about her brother-in-law dying as well. She hears about the tragic events of her father-in-law's death. And the reason why I'm throwing that all in together is you realize when we watch her husband, her, her father-in-law, and her brother-in-law all gone, every means of support that this woman had back in this biblical time, in that small period, it's gone. Here she is, a woman left to raise a child in a culture that is truly hostile to femininity. She would have to find a way. She's not her family's problem anymore. She became part of the other family. when she Now she was all alone to raise her child. And then in the mix of all that, she also hears how the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's blessing and presence amongst his people have been captured. And when she hears about all that, it's more that she can take. It throws her into labor. And this is a labor that's not going to be easy. It's with much travail, the scripture says. She bears a child, a son is born, and you realize in her circumstance, she is the one that has to name this boy. Naming rights falls to her. So she is going to give her, a son, her son a name that he will be referred to for the rest of his days. Have you ever thought about this? What's the question we're usually asked the most throughout our life? What is your name? It's going to mark him. It's what he'll be known as. She has that responsibility naming rights falls to her so in her dying breath she chooses to name her son this is the first name she calls her boy Ichabod and we chuckle because that's not a popular name either I mean I know there is one or two running around in the holler I do know that but it's probably because mom and dad didn't know what they were labeling their son as. Because you realize there's a reason why. I, I don't know. Are there any Ichabods here? I, the only Ichabod I can think of is the one I read about. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't read it. I watched the cartoon. <laughs> I was supposed to read it, but that's how I got through school. I watched the cartoon. Uh, the Headless Horseman, you know, Ichabod Crane. But I've never met one, and, and there's a reason why it's not popular in the na baby name books. It's because Ichabod, literally translated, properly translated, Ichabod, means no glory. Glory less. Now, your translation will say it like this. She named her son Ichabod, saying that the glory had departed from Israel. But properly translated, out of that context, properly translated, it simply means no 
glory. So when you watch what she chose to label her son, what she chose to name her boy, I'm just going to say this, and some of you think I'm going to be overreacting, but I'm serious. This breaks my heart. This is a sad picture. Because you know what she chose to name her boy? Hopeless. Gloryless. It really bothers me. Partly because I know everywhere I go, and Rock Hill's not excluded from this. I meet good people. Most of you are good people. You know all y'all aren't. And if that makes you mad, you're the one. I mean, that's the truth. The odds are against us in a crowd this size. One or two of you are a little bit sour. Let Jesus sweeten you up. Get over it. But anyhow, you know, I meet good people everywhere I go who will come to church. Some will come Sunday night. Some will even come during the revival. They might even smile. But I know just because you're here today, just because it's Mother's Day, just because you've got a smile on your face doesn't mean that everything's well in your life. Doesn't mean that you're having an easy way with things. There are probably people here who are going through things they never imagined they would go through. Maybe there are even circumstances that you haven't told anybody else about, but at night you can't sleep because you're too busy worried about what's going to happen. Maybe you've even come to the point where you think there is no hope. This is as good as it's going to get. I'm never going to have it as good again. It's just, I want to say to you this morning, and if you get nothing else out of our time together, I want you to, somebody needs to receive this truth right from God's word. I want to say to you, no matter what you're going through, do not allow your present circumstance naming rights over your tomorrow. Don't allow what you're going through in this moment to define who you're going to be tomorrow I tell you it does not have that right it may be dark you may not know what's going on but you hang in there honey because I'm telling you the sun is going to shine again he is in control this is temporary do not allow your present circumstance to name your tomorrow But she names him Ichabod. And I know usually when a preacher comes in and stops, snorts, and spits about this. But they want to talk about how the glory has departed from the church. I don't want to talk about that. I, I don't because I believe the Ichabod spirit is something that our world is familiar with. I'd actually say that our culture is overrun by the Ichabod spirit. And you can choose to disagree with me, but you're wrong. Uh, I mean, you're living in a fantasy world or something. You need to get out of Disney. I, I, I do. I, I mean, I used to be one of these strange guys. I'm still strange, but I, I used to be one of these guys that used to like to watch the news all the time. And I picked Fox News not because they weren't slanted. They, they're just as slanted as anybody else. I just prefer their slant. But I'll tell you why I watched it. They had the best-looking anchors. 
I'll tell you the truth, I'm a single guy. They were the easiest on the eyes. <laughs> I'm having a good time whether anybody else does. Now, their standards have gone down here lately, but anyhow. I, 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 I used to just have that on all the time, but now it seems like even good news is twisted into bad. I, I can't hardly stand to watch it. I mean, there is just this feeling everywhere you go, this negativity. I know you're sweeter down here in the South, but, you know, when people wave at you with the wrong finger. I mean, there's all this stuff that, that if you disagree with this, let me just challenge you. When you leave here, go out and find that outcast. And if you have any trouble wondering where they might be, I see them almost on every exit ramp that I get off in this country. They're holding a sign, and you all say, well, it's a scam. I don't know that's really our call, and probably some of it is. But when you see everything they own underneath the bridge, I doubt that all of them are just trying to pull something over on you. Talk to them about what their future holds. Talk to them about their prospect of a... Find the people who think they're unwanted. There's probably one or two here today. I mean, friends don't call them and ask them out for, for dinner on Sunday afternoon. And if they try to call one of their friends, thanks to caller ID, they always get the voicemail. Family may come around every now and then, but there's, find those people and talk to them. Find the people who feel unloved. And I know there are some of those here today. Family has turned their back and walked away. I mean, there's not even anything pleasant. There are no friends that want to be around them. You may even, they may even lay in bed at night with their spouse and still just long for somebody to wrap their arms around them to let them know that they are cared about, that they are loved. I challenge you, find those people, and you will find that the Ichabod spirit is well known. There is this hopelessness. There is this oppression. And we just feel as though this is the way life is. It's always going to be that way. And if we're not careful, that's where we'll decide to live. In fact, a lot of the church has decided to live there. The first name is Ichabod. The glory has departed hopeless. Now the second, I'm going to read it to you. Instead of telling you the story, I want to read it to you out of Matthew chapter 1. And I know when I say Matthew, some of you are going to say, now wait a minute, Billy, you started out by saying that both the names were in the Old Testament. And I said that because they are. The only difference is this second name is promised to us in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Um, it's revealed to us throughout the Gospels. And the reality of his power, its power, can be realized in all of our lives here this morning. Matthew chapter 1 beginning with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, 
was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, saying, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The Ichabod spirit. We're introduced in 1 Samuel chapter 4, but I would contend that we've been familiar with Ichabod ever since that day in the garden when man chose an existence in a ditch of their own making, when they chose to break the intended relationship between them and their God. Because from that point on, we watch that there's always this struggle I mean, sure, we see a holy God pursuing his people, but the problem is he's a holy God and they were unholy. And no matter what they did, they could never get to where they needed to be. And by the time you come to the old, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, there's this sense of, uh, of helplessness, this sense of despair. It seems as though there is no way. Now, we have the privilege of having Old and New Testament back-to-back. But you know, when the Old Testament comes to a close, scholars will tell you there's a 400-year period that's not recorded. And the reason why there's this 400-year intertestimonial period is because during those 400 years, there was no authentic voice from the Lord. There was no authentic prophet that would stand before God's people and thunder his word. There was no thus saith the Lord. Now, can you imagine those 400 years? We often talk, often talk about how the Israelites were in Egypt land for 430 years. But here's another 400-year period of time where it seemed as though their God did not care. It seemed as though darkness would always control, that they would never be able to get back to where they needed to be. It was 400 years where hopelessness seemed to reign supreme. But aren't you thankful this morning that when we don't know what's going on, we can be sure that something is happening? Aren't you thankful when we begin to wonder what God is up to, if he cares or if he's even around, that we can know that the word of God is true, that our God does not sleep, nor does he slumber. He is at work behind the scenes because when it seems the darkest that it could possibly be we watch at this point God is going to do the greatest thing imaginable actually what had been laid from the foundation of the world because at the darkest point the darkest night the light begins to break we watch as God robes his son in human flesh and sends him from the ivory halls of heaven down to a manger to be born and I heard how I described heaven ivory halls of heaven but see you've got to 
to understand something. For nearly 60 years, my papa pastored Wofford Missionary Baptist Church in Wofford, Kentucky. And I grew up going to his church, and we would sing songs about heaven. We don't even write them anymore. But we would sing about heaven, knowing that there was a hope. And we would talk about golden streets, because it's what the book says. We talk about golden streets. We talk about walls of jasper. I don't even know what that is, but I want to see some someday. We, you know, we talk about gates of pearl, the crystal sea, and I've watched people get red in the face over their mansion on a hilltop over the years. Have you seen that? They've turned my mansion into a room. Well, I want to say calm down with that attitude. You probably don't have either. I believe that heaven is going to be everything the book says it's going to be. But I have a question for you. How do you describe the indescribable? How can our limited minds comprehend an unlimited God? When when we come and talk about heaven, we use language like gold, uh, pearl, and crystal, and mansions, because that's the most beautiful thing that we can imagine here on earth. But I guarantee you, when we get there, it's going to be so much better than any of that. How can I be so sure? Because I know when we get there, we are going to be in His presence. The Son Himself will be the light. In His presence, His glory will outshine any golden street. We will spend eternity worshiping and serving him. Some of you got in your mind that you're just going to sit around and, and eat at a dinner table and lay in a hammock and get fat. No, we will spend eternity worshiping the one that made it all possible. So if you can't worship down here, I wonder if you're going to be able to up there. But I believe that heaven is going to be everything the book says it's going to be. So think about this. If there are golden streets... These are feet that had trod down golden avenues. Now for 33 years are going to stomp through manure. Toes that had dangled in the crystal sea. Now for 33 years is going to get dirt under its nails. The son of God, the darling babe of heaven, the king of glory. For 33 years is going to walk as a common man. Knowing every step that he takes, he's headed to a cross. Knowing that he's going to the place of the skull where he will shed his blood and ultimately die and be buried. But thank God, he also knows that on the third day, he will rise again, delivering a death blow to death, hell, and the grave. And he did it all. Why? To let you know. See, he knew that you would feel like you were nothing. He knew that you would feel like nobody cared. And he wanted you to know that you are somebody special and that he does care. He knew how cruel the world could be he knew how hopeless you might feel and he wanted you to understand that you there is a hope his name is he knew that you would feel unloved and he gave his life to show you how special you are he loves you God is with us the spirit of Emmanuel hear me on this has destroyed the spirit of Ichabod There is a hope. God is with us. Oh, I embarrass myself sometimes, but this is exciting news. God is with, and we know, because of what we'll be celebrating here in just a few weeks, 
because of Pentecost, not only is he with us, but he is in us. The spirit of Emmanuel has destroyed the spirit of Ichabod. So I wonder what would happen if we just started right there. I, I, I wonder what it would be if we just rested in that realization. Because I don't know what you've carried here today. I really don't. I, I'm looking around at you, and, and I like to have fun and, and all that. I kid around with you, but I do believe you're good people. But I don't know where you're living. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what emotions Mother's Day brings up in you. What would happen if we just started knowing that he is? And it sounds cliche, but I'm not trying. The answer to all our questions. What would happen and like I said, it sounds cliche, but what if we realize that he is the solution to all our problems? He's experienced everything you've experienced. Every feeling you've had, he's... Because he came and because he's with us. Do you think maybe we might have revival if we just started with him? Jesus, this morning, there's no question in my mind that this is what you wanted me to preach. So I believe that we needed to hear it. I needed to hear it. My brothers and sisters needed to hear it. There are people here today who think all hope is gone. Would you remind them that Emmanuel is greater than Ichabod? There are people here who are overwhelmed with need. Would you remind them today that you meet all our needs according to your riches and glory? There are some people here who are living in sin. Help them realize because you shed your blood, the price for sin has been paid. They can be set free. Whatever that need may be. And maybe our need is simply to be renewed. We've just kind of grown cold. We've just kind of grown tired and lazy. Help us to be renewed in your presence. And when we leave this place today, 
remind us that there are people all over the place who thinks things are hopeless, who are controlled by Ichabod. Help us be the ones to introduce them to Emmanuel. Well, with your heads bowed, I'm going to invite you all over the sanctuary, please, to stand to your feet. All over the sanctuary, if you're able. Thank you for being patient with me this morning. I believe, though, every time the Word of God is spoken, it demands a response. In fact, I'm simple enough to believe that every one of us will respond. And depending upon that response, we'll either be closer or farther from Him. The only choice we don't have is being the same. That's the truth, that's the reality. So there are altars here. I wouldn't presume to know what you need to pray about. All I know is that we do. Lately, I've been realizing that it's easy for me to fall into a routine. I'm a man of pattern. I'm a man of routine. So I begin to think that these gatherings just like this are what we do, but I'm beginning to understand that this is anything but routine. And the reason I say that is, is we have a God who knows exactly what we're going through. Every one of us in this room, not only does he know, but he loves us enough to orchestrate moments like this to give us exactly what we need. So my my confusion, my concern is, is why if we have a God that orchestrates these times just like this because he knows what we're in need of, why would any of us leave without receiving what he has? He's a good God. He's with us. At the appropriate time, your pastor will lead us in a closing prayer. But until that time, if you need to be seated, please be seated. Let's just all spend some time with him where we are.